and welcome to Audiobook Stories Podcast. I can't wait to read some stories to you all. These stories are based on regular storybooks, so it's probably not really scary for the younger kids. Today I'm going to, to go over some things you could do to prepare yourself for some stories. First, you could go to a cozy place to sleep in or just relax. Second, you could get your iPhone, iPod, iPad, or laptop to listen to some stories. Third, you could turn on the podcast and enjoy three simple steps you could do to listen to some stories. Now let's start with continuing with our first story. Today our story will still be Wings of Fire, Book 11, The Lost Continent. Let's get reading! Part 3, Metamorphosis. Chapter 22. Blue was dragged roughly through the hive tunnels. The queen had dispatched five dragons to take him away, which was far too many for a dragon as harmless as Blue. They kept stepping on one another's toes and growling and bumping wings and all trying to hold on to his elbows at once, which he definitely did not have enough elbows for them to do. Their eyes were their own again. So the queen had apparently decided she didn't need to be concerned about Blue anymore which meant the rest, all the rest of her brainwashed subjects were off hunting for Cricket and Sundu. Did they get away? Are they all right? He worried and worried about this as he was showed between blustering hive wings. They were descending through the levels, but to where? Blue had no idea. He kept expecting the queen herself to appear. He jumped each time they turned onto a level with black and yellow stripes. They reached the bottom level with no sign of her, though. The guards pushed him out onto the streets of the warehouses he'd seen on the way in. One flicked her wings at him, and he realized that the tips were sharp little stingers, so probably venomous. Another kept bearing his fangs, so those could probably kill him with just a scratch, too. Where are they taking me? Blue wondered, staring at the blank walls as they marched past. How am I going to be punished? He remembered the tortured faces on misbehavior's way and shivered. This feeling of being in trouble, of having done something wrong, knowing so many dragons were angry at you. This was everything he tried to avoid his whole life. He hated it. He wanted to go back to his desk and get all the answers right on the quiz and have the teacher smile and say, Nice work, Blue. He wanted to dig out his good citizenship award and show it to these hive wings to prove that he wasn't as bad as a dragon as he thought he was. But I'm not. I mean, I've done all the things I... They think I have, but that doesn't make me bad. He clung to that thought like it was a harness and someone was lifting him through the sky. Yes, I broke hiving rules, but I had good reasons to. I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I just wanted to find my sister and set her free. Queen Wasp didn't have to be so secretive and menacing and terrifying in the first place. The hiveling stopped suddenly in front of a blocky building that looked exactly the same as all others. The only difference was a carving on the gray door, this time of a small lantern, little sparks coming off it to indicate it was glowing. Blue suddenly had a guess about where he was going. One of the hive wings pounded on the door in a series of knocks. Three quick, four slow, two quick. After a moment, it was flung open, revealing a wizened, mostly orange dragon with black patches here and there. He suggests... He gestured for them to come inside and slammed the door behind them. Shapes loomed around them in the dim interior, 
giant crates, as far as Blue could tell, stacked up to the ceiling. They maneuvered between these, left, right, right, left again, until Blue lost track. But he thought they were about in the center of the warehouse when they reached a wide, open, well-lit space surrounded by a circle of watchful hive-wing guards. At first, Blue thought they were staring into empty space, but perhaps at another one across the way. He wasn't until he got closer that he realized they were looking down, down through an enormous sheet of glass at a stone cavern below the floor. That was where all, also where all the light was coming from. The dragon from the door shoved him past the guards before Blue could take a close look. But he caught a glimpse of cauldrons that seemed to be full of molten gold and dragons moving between them. Shortly beyond the circle of guards, the old dragon shoved aside a crate and heaved open a trapdoor underneath, revealing a set of stairs descending into the earth. He stared down and Blue's guards nudged him into following. Lamps punctuated the turns of the stairwell, but they seemed unnecessary. The glow from the light at the bottom of the stairs could have illuminated the stairwell three times as long. Blue had to shield his eyes and blink hard for a moment when they reached the bottom. His head ached as though he'd walked right up to the sun. What's this? A gruff voice demanded while Blue's eyes were, were still adjusting. The flame silk everyone's looking, been looking for. Came the answer. Can't be. Someone poked his shoulder. Wrong color. Ack! Did his scales just fall off? It's paint or something, said another dragon. She started scraping at his scales with her claws. Yeesh! Look, it comes off. Fetch a scrubber. Wait, this little scrap is the dragon we've been hunting across the savannah? Someone else chimed in. He's not a flame silk. He hasn't even got wings or silk yet. We knew that, idiot, said the first one. He's probably a fame silk. We have to keep an eye on him in case he is. How boring. When's his metamorphosis? Dunno. Soon, I reckon. Blue's heart gave a nervous jump. It was soon. Really, really soon. He kept forgetting to worry about it. it his was supposed to start right after Luna's ended. Would he have to spin his cocoon here, far away from his mother, to his hive, and the cocoon where he'd always expected to transform? He felt his wrists gingerly. They seemed normal. No pain, no burning feelings. What if he went through his metamorphosis and wasn't a flame silk? What would the queen do with him then? Sending him back like home burn to Burnett and Silverspot didn't seem the most likely option, somehow. Someone arrived with the scrubbing brushes and briskly scoured the paint off his scales. He stood still and didn't struggle. There wasn't much point in being a different color now, after all. Besides, his eyes were finally adjusting to the light, and he was transfixed by his new surroundings. They were standing on a ledge at the bottom of the stairs, looking out over the cave he glimpsed from above. If he looked up, he could see the green-yellow-orange glow of the eyes watching through the glass ceiling. More hive-wing guards were stationed down here, peering into the cauldrons and occasionally poking working silkwings with their tails or their spears. Several of those silkwings were ordinary dragons, doing ordinary work, transporting cargo, carrying food and water, cleaning, putting out fires. But the rest, the rest were flame silks. Blue counted nine at the first glance. They were scattered across the cavern, each on his or her own rocky perch. Four of them were asleep, two were eating, the other three had their wrists extended, fiery silk threads pulling out onto the massive stone cauldron set below them. 
He stared at them, trying to guess which one was his father. The large, bored one who looked like he might fall asleep and topple onto his own silk fire. The lime-striped one who was nibbling a persimmon as though it had greatly offended him, but he decided to eat it anyway. The one with pale pink wings whose talons twitched constantly in his sleep. And then, at last, he saw what he most wanted to see. An incandescent gold cocoon, tucked in its own hollow on the far side of the cave. Luna. He took a step towards her, hesitated, and looked back at the guards. The scrubbing brushes had been carted away. His original escorts had gone back up the stairs, leaving one guard from the door and the three who had come in to investigate his arrival. These four were all leaning on their spears or chewing on strips of dried gazelle, chatting to one another. One of them noticed at a glance. She grinned at him with all her teeth. Go ahead, she said. Get used to the place. I gather you're going to be here for a while. The others chuckled, but although Blue didn't think it was really the most clever menacing comment she could have come up with. He took another few steps away, but they all went back to a conversation and ignored him. I guess I can really walk around. He'd expected a cage, or a paralyzing nerve toxin, or some kind of beating, perhaps. But maybe this wasn't the Queen's way. This was the Queen's way of letting him know how unimportant he was. Or how trapped. He could wander as far as he liked, because there's nowhere, there was nowhere to go and no way out. Blue clambered down from the ledge, hopping from rocky foothold to craggy stalagmite until he reached the same level of the cavern as Luna's cocoon. Behind him, he heard the hyphen guards laughing, and he wondered if they were mocking his winglessness. Well, I won't be wingless much longer. His biggest fear, his metamorphosis, was only days away. It seemed, didn't seem fair that he'd had to deal with that, too, in the middle of everything else terrifying. His route to the cocoon led him past the bored-looking flame silk, who glanced up with a spark of interest in his eyes. Hey, the flame silk said in a lazy but commanding voice. Who are you? Blue hesitated. He didn't want to alienate anyone who might be a friend down here, and for all he knew, this could be Admiral. I'm Blue, he said. My sister's in that cocoon over there. Oh, said the other dragon. He shook out one of his wrists vigorously, but watched the silk spool for a moment, and then turned his gaze back to Blue. Right, the new blood. Did you know we were coming? Blue asked. Some of us hoped, he answered. Ad's been counting the days. He nodded over at Lunik's cocoon, and Blue finally noticed that there was a dragon sitting next to it. Ad. Admiral. Blue moved forward, studying his father. Admiral was a shimmering blue-green, somewhere between Blue's bright morpho butterfly blue and Luna's elegant caterpillar color. He had darker purple streaks along his wings and matching spots of white on each one. His eyes were brown with a faint gold tinge to them, and he traced one claw around and around an infinity loop on the ground as he watched Luna's cocoon. For a long moment, he didn't look up, even when Blue stepped right across the the cocoon from him, but at last Admiral raised his head and saw his son. His eyes lit up. You're the other one, he said. You're early. Oh, yes, Blue said. He gestured vaguely at the guards at the entrance ledge. I was, uh, well, captured, I guess. I'm glad you're here, Admiral said warmly. I'm your father. I'm Admiral. I know, Blue said. My name's Blue. Wait, you're glad we're here? Glad Luna and I are trapped down here, just like you? 
We have such an important job, Admiral said, rubbing his wrists. So important. When do you think she'll wake up? Blue calculated backward. Not tomorrow night, the night after that, he said. That would be five days from when she went in. Admiral nodded. I can't believe one of mine is a flame silk, he said. And maybe both. Clubtail was taken out to have eggs a year before me, but neither of his had any flame whatsoever. His chest swelled with pride. But, Blue looked around to the cavern again. Isn't it, sorry, but isn't it kind of terrible being a flame silk? Terrible? Gosh, no, said Admiral. I mean, I'd make some changes. I'm working on that. Working on what? Blue asked. Was his father also part of a secret resistance? Admiral waved at a rocky nest nearby, where piles of papers were neatly stacked along the stone shelves around it, each stack tied with a pale gold thread. Chaining the system, he said. Solving problems. With papers? Blue squinted at them. They're letters, Admiral said patiently. My copies of them, obviously. I write one to the Queen every seven days, outlining the current problems I see and offering proposals for fixing them. Oh, Blue said, impressed. That was a lot of levers. So she writes back, or she comes to visit you? Well, neither, said Admiral. But she's very busy. Lots of hives to run, two tribes to manage, leaf wings to guard against. The dip in the flame silk production is just one of her many problems, which I'm going to help solve. There's a flame silk shortage, Blue said. No, said Admiral unconvincingly. And it's not a problem, because we're solving it. With her help, he added, nodding at Luna's cocoon, and hopefully yours. Blue stared at him in alarm. Was this your idea? he asked, fathering potential flame silks so more dragons could be trapped in this cave. Well, no, his father admitted. The queen came up with that. Very clever, and works out well for me because A, better company, and B, more signatures for my petitions. Petitions, Blue echoed. My suggestion was longer rest cycles between production and more citrus in our diet, which we got. The citrus, I mean. Tangerines for everyone with every meal. Every meal. Really makes you wish for a lemon or a banana now and then. Good for us, though. She voted the longer rest cycles. That's all right. So, what else have you changed? Blue asked. Oh, lots of things, Admiral said with a modest shrug. I started almost as soon as I got here, once I realized there was a system and there was a way to accomplish a real change within that system. Yeah? Blue was intrigued. Doing things inside of the rules. That sounded like something he could handle a bit better than Swordtail and Luna's revolution. Maybe his father could teach him how to do it. Maybe there is a way to be a good dragon, stay out of trouble, and still make things better. Although, tangerines were not quite the epic change Blue wanted to see in the world. Can I read some of your letters? Blue asked. Of course! Admiral leaped excitedly to his feet and bounded over to his alcove. He came back with an armful of papers and laid them out in front of Blue. Wait, is this flame silk? Blue said, touching the thread that tied one stack together. Why isn't it setting the letters on fire? Admiral laughed. This is great, he said. I feel like such a dad. I get to teach you so much. There are different kinds of flame silk, buddy. It wouldn't be good, much good to us if it only burned everything in sight. We need the kind for building webs, too. Something we can sleep on. Stick your silk for climbing with. We can choose what kind we produce. 
He tipped his wrists up, flexed his claws, and glanced at the nearest guard, who wasn't paying any attention to them. Um, I'll show you later. Not a good idea to waste any silk, you know. Blue flipped through the letters, thinking about this new information. It was quite a relief to hear that he wouldn't accidentally set the world on fire every time he used his silk. Although maybe going through metamorphosis with his flame silk parent nearby, but that was actually a good idea. Maybe the queen was trying to help me and Luna by bringing us here. And yet, he glanced around the cavern. The flame silk dragons looked fine. They didn't seem miserable. But if they were so important and the queen was willing to listen to them, why were they kept imprisoned in this cavern? Why were they such a big secret, at least from most other silkwings? Why weren't they allowed to choose this life or something else? Father, Blue said, do any flame silks ever leave this place? Sure, said Admiral said unexpectedly. I mean, I left, didn't I? Long enough to have you. Right, but how long was that for? Blue asked. Did you get to decide when and where you went? Or who are you with? Well, no, Admiral said. But it was a lovely visit. Cicada Hive is so pretty. That Mozak Garden, wow. Have you gone every, anywhere else? Blue asked. How often do you leave? Um... Admiral scrunched up his snout as though he were counting in his head. Blue leaned forward, hopefully. Right. That was it, actually. That one time. In your whole life? Blue asked, dismayed. You've spent your whole life in this one cave. Oh, no, said Admiral. I grew up in Hornet Hive. Didn't move here until my metamorphosis. Went into my cocoon there. Woke up here. Quite a surprise. Really delightful once I realized how important we are and what an honor this is. Blue regarded him skeptically. Haven't you ever asked the queen if you could leave? Sure, Admiral said. That stack on the end is inv- vacation time requests and field trip proposals and some of my theories on how more flying might improve our silk production. Afraid I don't have any good evidence for that, though. More of a wishful thinking kind of hypothesis. I realize that. Completely re- reasonable that she always says no. Blue picked up another letter. His father's handwriting was neat and very legible. His spelling was perfect. His senses concise and convincing. This one was a politely worded outline of a proposal for a skylight or anything like a window, suggesting a little sun on their scales might also be beneficial for their silk output. There were several letters below it making along the same lines, with modifications to the proposal to make it as cost-effective or as easy to accomplish as possible. One even included a drawing of a sequence of mirrors that could bring sunshine to them via a long path of reflections. Blue could clearly see, from looking at the cavern, that every one of these letters had been ignored. "'Who's the midget?' One of the other flame silks, the one with the green stripes, shouted at Admiral. "'Is that your offspring? He's scrawny like you!' He's a vicious earthworm, t- is he a vicious earthworm too? Mind your own business, Admiral roared. He doesn't need to hear your toad-sucking voice. Better than your militopian claw-waving ford roll, the dragon yelled. Are you poisoning his ears with your stupid ideas already? Did you tell him the queen chews up all your letters and spits them out? Because they're the dumbest things she ever reads. Reads. That 
that's not true, and it would help if certain dragons weren't such trolls about everything, Admiral yelled back, as if anyone could ever believe that less citrus might be helpful. I swear, he said to Blue, I think he sneaks over and reads my letters just so he can write ones arguing for the exact opposite of anything I propose. Who is that? Admiral asked, wide-eyed. Why is he so mean? That's Fritillary, Admiral growled. He just wants everyone to hate the world as much as he does. Don't talk to him. He made an effort to smile at Blue. See, this is why I'm so glad you're here. It'll be nice to have someone to talk to. Someone with a little perspective. Someone who knows how to look on the bright side. You do know how to look on the bright side, do, don't you? I guess I do, Blue said. Wasn't that what he'd spent his whole life doing? Finding a silver lining to any cloud? Convincing himself that there was nothing wrong with how Silkwings were treated. Ignoring Luna's complaints. Assuming that their safety was worth sacrificing a few freedoms. He looked down at the letters in his talons again. After all these years of trying to work with Queen Wasp's rules, Queen Wasp's hive, under Queen Wasp's control, had his father accomplished no more than a handful of tangerines? Had he accepted the loss of all his freedom because he didn't, because he thought he could find a way to make it work? Didn't he want more out of his life? Didn't he want to fight back? Do I? It was like Cricket said, some rules were just unjust. And some things were more important than following the rules. He put down the letters and rested his front talons on Luna's warm, golden cocoon. It was very hot, but it didn't burn him. This is not going to be our life, Luna, he promised silently. I won't let spend the next hundred years writing fruitless letters. Father's way, obeying the system, hasn't worked. So we'll find another. Or we'll burn it all down. Chapter 23. Admiral found a place for Blue to close to his own nest, a hollow in the rock large enough for a dragon to settle into, with several crannies in the wall where he could keep his things, if he had ever had any things. Apparently there was a request process involving a number of forms. At first the hollow seemed a little too big to Blue, and then he felt a shiver across his wings as he realized his father was thinking of Blue's future, about how much bigger he might grow. Admiral had chosen a nest where Blue could spend the rest of his entire life. But I'm not going to. That's not going to happen. He tried to believe it as he lay down to sleep, but his dreams were restless and unhappy. He dreamed of getting out his talons stuck at a crevice and trying to pull them out. He dreamed of letters piling up around his claws. He dreamed of Clearsight sitting on the steps of her temple looking down at him with enormous disappointment. Then he woke up. When he woke up, his wrists were itching. Am I going to be a flame silk? The cavern was quiet. Most of the regular silkwings were gone, and even seven of the silkwings were asleep. Blue climbed down to Luna's cocoon and leaned against it. He wished he could talk to his sister, or Cricket. What, is Cricket all right? Did she escape? Or...
his mind shed away from the alternative. He couldn't imagine the world without Cricket in it. He couldn't imagine his own life without Cricket in it. A high-winged guard came stomping over Blue, and Blue sat up hopefully. Maybe this dragon could tell him something about what happened. But the guard went right past him and jabbed Admiral in the side with one of her sharp claws. Admiral woke up with a snort, blinking rapidly. Time to spin, the guard snarled. You're late. So sorry, Admiral said, rubbing his eyes. You're not, you're quite right. I've been a little discombobulated by the arrival of my children, of course. Otherwise, I'm always on time, aren't I? Very punctual, dragon. That's me. Very little reminding required. Don't you agree? Quit your yapping and excusing, the guard grumbled. Silk, now. She dragged a cauldron out from under Admiral's nest and thunked it into place right below Admiral. Of course. Admiral held out his arms and closed his eyes. A long, dragging moment passed, and then a thread of flame emerged from one wrist. It spiraled down into the cauldron, pouring slowly like cold honey. It was another long moment before a second thread appeared from the other wrist, and this one seemed dimmer than the first. The guard scowled at the slow-moving silk, and Blue wondered what she was feeling. Was she worried about what how it happened to the hives if there was a flame silk shortage? Shortage? Or did the guards get punished if the flame silks didn't meet a certain quota? Or was there any chance she was actually concerned about the dragons under her charge? What a weird life this would be, he thought. Every morning you wake up and go through a secret warehouse staircase into an underground cavern. You spend the day poking other dragons to make them work and standing guard so they can't leave. Isn't it boring? It must be boring. Especially for the ones sitting in a circle in the dark warehouse staring through the glass all day. The hivewing turned to leave and Admiral's eyes popped open. Sandfly, he said quickly. Have you met my son? This is Blue. He says my daughter's name is Luna. And she'll be coming out tomorrow night with her wings and silks to add to the quota. Isn't that wonderful? Sandfly looked down at Blue in the gold cocoon. She didn't say anything for a few heartbeats. Her scales were pale yellow and speckled everywhere with black, with tiny black spots, like a swarm of fireflies in the desert. It was easy to see how her parents chose her name. They're very young, she said at a length. Blue couldn't tell if she was feeling sorry for them, or with a life of imprisonment lying ahead, or was she pleased at the idea of how much silk they'd be able to produce over the length of that life. Excuse me, he said. I'm sorry to bother you, but was I was wondering, do you know what happened to the dragons who stole the book of, of Cleosite yesterday? Sandfly leaped backward as though she... He jabbed her with an electric eel. What? She roared. Half of the sleeping heads in the cavern popped up and turned their way. That didn't happen. No one would dare. Oh, Blue trailed off. It hadn't occurred to him that the queen would lie to everyone about this and make the librarian lie too. But now that he thought about it, he wasn't surprised. Losing the Book of Clear Sight would be pretty terrible for Moral. She could easily just close up the case and pretend it was still in there. That is, if Cricket and Sundu did escape with the book. What a horrible thing to say! Sandfly barked. Behind her, Admiral gave Blue a pained, fix this expression. I'm sorry, Blue said. I'm so sorry. I meant the dragons who tried to steal the Book of Clear Sight. Of course the librarian stopped them. 
Of course it's safe. Um, those dragons, though, do you know if they got away? Sandfly was shaking out her wings as though they were crawling with caterpillars. Oh, she said, I'm going to have nightmares for days. What kind of trainer would steal the Book of Clear Sight? That's so obviously wrong. So obviously wrong? Blue stared down at his talons, the talons that had unlocked the case and lifted out the precious book. It was me. I'm the traitor. But the librarian had wanted them to have it when she was herself. She'd said it was time for other dragons to know the book's secrets. He decided not to mention that, in case Sandfly had another heart attack. He was also carefully avoiding the fact that one of the criminal dragons was a leafling, in case that wasn't public knowledge and might set off a riot. Right, he said, trying one more time. So the queen really wanted to catch them. But did she? I have no idea, Sandfly said. She settled her wings again. I was down here until midnight last night. No one at home mentioned any public executions yesterday, but maybe they'll be held today or tomorrow. Blue managed not to gasp or burst into tears. She assumes they were caught because she's a hive wing, but she doesn't actually know. They might be safe. Or they might be in another prison somewhere, waiting to be executed. If only he could escape and go look for them. But he didn't have Cricket's clever ideas, or Swordtail's impulsive courage, or Sundew's helpful pouches of weapons. He was just a little wingless dragon stuck in a cavern of flame. Still, he could at least try. Blue spent the rest of the day exploring every corner of the flamesilk cave. He walked the entire perimeter, clambering up and down the rocks whenever he needed to. The guards in the staircase gave him weird looks as he went by, but they didn't stop him. Nobody stopped him, although he got the distinct feeling that all the silk flame silks were watching him whenever they thought he wasn't looking. There were three female flame silks and seven males, most of them quite a lot older than Blue. He guessed the Admiral might be the youngest one the Queen had. A couple of them seemed to stay in their nests all the time, cycling between sleeping, eating, and producing silk, without ever moving from their spots. He saw a few others get up and fly around, although they couldn't fly, go far. There was enough room to spread their wings, but they couldn't soar, and there wasn't any wind to ride. If this is my future, I will never get to fly in... Will I never get to fly in the clouds? How will I even learn to fly properly without any wind currents down here? The guards in the flame silks seemed to have a very precise schedule in their heads. They rotated production cycles and rest intervals in careful synchronization, so there were always at least three flame silks working, even in the middle of the night. Blue had covered almost the entire cave by the time his father's turn as the cauldron was done. There were a few ledges and corners that he hadn't figured out how to climb up to yet, but he had walked between all the stalagmites and surreptitiously poked his nose in every large gap in the rocks. So far, he hadn't found any secret passages through, though. From across the cave, he saw Sandfly drop a ba- bucket of food beside Admiral and saw roll the cauldron away. He started back, his head full of questions. Hello, dear, one of the flame silks said, popping her head over the edge of her nest just as he was about to pass her. He jumped, and she giggled. I'm Danaid. My, aren't you a shiny one? We haven't had any visitors in so long, and now we'll have two new flame silks. How delightful! She sighed happily. Her scales were so orange she almost looked like a hyphen, but there was no black among them. Instead, flecks of white dotted her spine and long streaks of 
white stripped her wings. She looked old enough to be Blue's great-grandmother. I might not be a flame silk, Blue said, checking his wrists again. Not to worry, she said. I'm sure you'll still be delightful company. Better than all these grosing little old dragons, anyhow. Some of them can't keep a secret. She shot an irritated look at the, at the pale pink flame silk. And some of them think very highly of themselves. I can hear you, Fritillary shouted from his nest. We all can, called another. I know, Danny shouted back. We're in a cave, but I'm having a private conversation. So stick your snout somewhere else. I told you. I thought you wanted me to tell Fertillery that you liked his stripes, the pink silkling said in a wounded voice. Aren't you ever going to forgive me? Well, I don't like them anymore, Danaid snapped. I think they make him look skinny and arrogant and potato-brained. You wish you were as smart as a potato, Fertillery bellowed. Go suck a lime, Danaid shouted. I hope your face gets eaten by dung beetles. Now, now, settle down, said one of the hyphen guards in a bored voice. Anyway, where are we? Anyway, where were you? Dayanaid said to Blue, her voice suddenly all sweetness again. And it wasn't my fault that Bassoon heard, overheard me telling. And it wasn't my fault that Festoon overheard me telling. Helen's Canonian, that you thought he was stealing on the radishes. The pink dragon went on curiously. You should be mad at him for eavesdropping, not me. I was, Daynade snapped, but he died five years ago, you halfwit. Oh, right, the pink dragon flopped sideways in his nest. Ignore them, sweetheart, Daynade said to Blue. Is it always like this? Blue asked. He waved to his hands at the flame silks. Like what? Daynade asked cheerfully. The arguing, he tried. He'd seen at least three other shouting matches erupt that morning while he'd been searching the cave. Who's arguing? Daynade said. Was it old fertility? He's the worst. Don't talk to him. Exiana is terrible, too. Always gossiping and bad-mouthing everyone. You always know you can't trust Pyrrhid over there, over here. The p- pink flame silk let out a grumbling sigh and turned his head away from them. Clubtail is perfectly nice, but by all the hives, he never stops talking. Her canonian ru- ruins everything. She flipped her tail over the side of the nest and smiled at Blue. Really, I'm the only one worth knowing. Daynade, stop poisoning my son's mind, Admiral said, appearing at Blue's side suddenly. He's on my side, not yours. Their sides? Blue said, confused. No, Admiral said, but Daynade is definitely on the wrong one. Let me introduce you to the dragons you should be friends with. Daynade hissed at him. You, can, you can't keep all the new friends to yourself, she cried. New friends are for sharing. Let him decide for himself who he wants to talk to. Eat bugs, Daynade, Admiral said sharply. He led Blue away, his snout in the air. 
Isn't he dreadful? He said, loud enough for the orange silkling to overhear. She seems all right to me, Blue said. No, she's, Admiral said, she's dreadful. What's going on? Blue asked, bewildered. With what? Admiral paused to toss Blue a tangerine, smiling. It's just... You guys seem to spend a lot of time fighting with each other, Blue pointed out. Do we? Admiral looked surprised. No more than most dragons, I'm sure. Way more than dragons, I know, Blue said. Admiral flipped one of his wings dismissively. Well, I suppose we've all been stuck together for so long. There's bound to be a little tension here and there. Come meet Exena, though. She's very sweet and always has clever things to say about the others. Exena shared her tail and kumquats with them and spent the entire conversation glancing around the cave to make sure everyone else saw that she was officially getting to meet the new silkwing first. She also made a point of warning Blue away from Danaid and a few other flame silks. This went on with each dragon Blue met, and by the time he wound back up back his, in his nest, he was exhausted. He couldn't keep track of who hated who, except they all seemed to hate fertility, which was mutal. The cavern was seething with petty rivalries, long-held grudges, and easily provoked tempers. He flopped down next to Luna's cocoon and rested his head against it. He couldn't wait for his sensible, funny, normal sister to come out. No wonder they're starved for new company. Being trapped in here for almost as long has turned them for so long has turned them all super weird. Almost my turn again, Admiral said, shaking his wrists, though hoping it would wake up his silk glands. Father, Blue said, why do you all fight with each other? Aren't there more important enemies? Like who? Admiral asked. The Queen, the Hivelings, the guards who imprison you here, Blue said, lowering his voice. Oh, tosh, said Admiral. The Queen is our employer. The guards keep us fed and safe and on schedule. Blue shook his head. How could his father not understand that this was a prison? Maybe after you've been here for a while, you have to convince yourself you chose this, so it all feels less awful. He'd met two dragons among the flame soaks who he suspected weren't as resigned or falsely content as Admiral. Heli Canonian was restless and fidgety and glanced at the exits a lot. She also asked the only questions about the outside world and what was happening beyond the cavern. The cavern. And Pyrid seemed dis- desperately unhappy, although he wouldn't say anything bad about the hive wings. Also, Fertillery, with his everlasting bad temper, surely he wanted to escape. I just think it's silly to be so mad at each other, Blue said, when there are far worse things going on and dangerous and, and dragons who are treating you far more terribly than they need. If you all could stop fighting and stand together, maybe you could actually change things. No, no, Admiral said firmly. I would never work with Danaid or Clubtail or Whitespeck. They're selfish, ignorant muses and wrong about everything. I can get things done through the Queen. Blue sighed. He could see these dragons had baked their options of one another in furnace and were determined to stick to their fractions. Factions. He slept poorly again that night, troubled by the dreams of searching for Cricket through the dark dark halls of her school. No matter how many corners he turned or how many doors he opened, he never found the library. 
but he ran into day and aid and fertility and period all over again. All of them yelling over his head at someone else in the room. Then, just before he woke up, he found a room with Luna's cocoon in it, but the threads were cut open and no one was inside. He scrambled it out of his nest before he was fully awake, stumbling over his claws as he hurried to her cocoon. It was still there, safe, still safe, still warm. The silk walls seemed thinner than before, so he thought he could see the shadow of Luna on the other side. He leaned again against it again and whispered, Luna, I miss you. The silk moved again, sisting it ails, a slight push and a give, as though the dragon inside was rolling over or nudging him back. She's coming out tonight, Blue said, grinning, when Admiral came over to check on him. Even in this peculiar place, he couldn't help feeling excited for Luna. She'd finally have wings, like she always wanted. But she, would she ever really get to use them? His smile dimmed as the cocoon rocked again. Even though this was the last place he wanted to be, he was glad he'd be here for Luna when she came out. He was glad he'd be the one to explain everything, instead of a, a bunch of squabbling strangers. Dad, Blue said, what do you think will happen to me if I end up not being a flame silk? You'll get one of the regular silkwing jobs down here, his father said breezily, moving cauldrons or chopping food or cleaning, that sort of thing. But, but what if I want to go home? Blue asked, wishing he could stop his voice from trembling. Would I really have to stay down here? Admiral drummed his claws on the rocks below him. Well, he said, the queen doesn't exactly like to have silkwings wandering around. We know where this cavern is. Blue's shoulders slumped, and Admiral hurried on quickly. But I'll tell you what, I'll write her a letter, or lots of letters. If you're not a flame silk, I'll think of some very good reasons why you should get to go home. I'll convince her. Don't worry, it might take a while. But then maybe you'll decide you want to stay. It's quite nice here, and this is where I am. He finished with a wistful note in his, vo in his voice. I know, Blue said. I'll think about it, he added, to make his dad feel better. That day passed, much like the one before. Blue prowled all the corners again, looking for loose stones or a breath of air from outside. He tried avoiding getting dragged into the fights between the flame silks, but it was almost impossible. Every time he walked across the cave, someone would call him over, and then someone else would start shouting about how he couldn't associate with worm-eating low-lifes like that, and they'd soon be all arguing over an offensive re remark one of them had made ten years ago, and finally Admiral would have to come hustle blew away to safety. But he did find a spot, just one, that gave him a spark of hope. It was in the vault under the ledge where the hivewing guard, hivewings guarded the scare, staircase. Here the rock slanted back a ways into a craggy corner, and when Blue ran his talons over the stone, he found a hole. It wasn't a very big hole. It was just large enough for him to fit one of his arms through it. But when he did, he felt an open space on the other side. Open space and a touch of chilliness, as though there were another big cave back there, or maybe even a passage. The rocks he could feel on the back of the wall seemed damp. He tried peering through, but he didn't see anything but darkness. He returned to his nest, trying to think like Cricket. How, how would she get through the wall if she were stuck in here? It was early evening when Luna's cocoon started squirming. He crouched beside it, touching the silk gently with his talons whenever it seemed like as if it might rock too far away. Their father was there, too, watching with shining eyes. A crack peered 
appeared at one end of the old cocoon. Blue held his breath as it widened, slicing off the tip. Claws appeared in the gap, pushing away at the top of the cocoon, and then he could see Luna's head shoving her way out as well. Luna! he called. I'm here! You're doing great! You're almost done! She couldn't answer yet, but he saw her antennae unfurl and wave at him. Luna wriggled and heaved slowly and dragged her whole body out, until finally she left the empty husk of the cocoon behind her. Whoosh! she said, collapsing on her stomach on the on the warm rocks. Her wings unfolded gracefully behind from her back and spread out to dry, like a sating petals of green sunlight. They were beautiful. You did it! Blue sheared. He laid down beside her and nudged her snout with his. Your wings are amazing! So amazing, Luna! His throat closed over every, everything else she wanted, he, he wanted to stay, say. She smiled sleepily at him. Then why are you crying, little brother? She said, overwhelmed by my gloriousness. Pretty much, he said with his head with a sniffly laugh. I missed you so much. Aww, she said, covering one of his talons with hers. It was only five days, silly. Yeah, but they were really stressful days, he said. She blinked at him for a long moment, and then her gaze slowly shifted to the cave walls behind him and the glow of the light from all the flames of cauldrons, and the stranger wa- watching them eagerly from extremely close by. She rolled her wrists in and stared at them, and then sat up abruptly. Hi, said Admiral. Oh, wow, I can't believe this is happening. I'm so happy to meet you. Luna stared at him, and then Blue with an explain this face. This is Admiral, Blue said, our dad. He felt a twinge of pain in his own wrists and glanced down. Uh-oh, were those pinpricks of gold lava under his scales? This is the greatest day of my life, Admiral declared with the most enormous grin on his face. Enough smiling, time to spin, Sandfly said, stomping up and poking him in the shoulder. I give them three days until they figure out that you're the most annoying dragon here, Fertiller shouted from across the cavern. Luna glanced around frantically, her wings fluttering. She leaned forward and seized Blue's talons between hers. Blue, she said, where are we? Chapter 24 So Swordtail might be nearby, Blue said, or might have been captured. This is somehow too much information and absolutely not enough for information at the same time, Luna said, rubbing her forehead. Tandrine, Admiral offered. Thanks, she said, taking it and peeling it quickly. She'd been eating nonstop while Blue told her the whole story. Admiral, as it turned out, had a stash of food tucked away in his nest, and he was surprisingly adept at tossing fruit. Well eating, spinning flame silk at the same time. But the queen hasn't come down to yell at you or anything? Luna asked. No, Blue said. I really thought she would, or that I'd get dragged into her throne room and be punished. But this seems to be it. She just had me thrown in here. Like a lost thing that she found and put it back in its place, Luna said grumpily. I mean, I'm glad you weren't punished, Blue. The queen uses punishment mostly to send a message to the rest of her subjects. So I'm guessing she didn't want to draw attention to the fact that she had flame silks, or that 
a little wingless silkwing was able to hide for her from her for so long. That was only because I met Cricket, Blue said. She's the one who figured out how to hide me. Luna rolled her eyes at him affectionately. Trust you to find the one good hyphen in the entire tribe. Now I'll never be able to convince you that they're all evil. Because they're not, he protested. There must be others as nice as Cricket. Maybe not as smart or as pretty or as funny or kind, but probably a few that are nice. Luna shook her head. I doubt it, but even if they are, they'll never get a chance to be because of the queen's brainwashing. She shuddered from antennae to tail. That mind control thing sounds so creepy. It is, Blue said. I hope Io's all right. Me too. I hope she found the chrysalis. Luna, did you do you know about chrysal- the chrysalis? A little bit? A little bit, Luna said. S- Luna stood up, shaking out her wings and testing different po- positions she could hold them in. I knew Sortel and Io had just met them. I was hoping to join once I had my wings. I didn't quite figure on waking up in here. Blue winced and she gave him a sharp look. Is your silk coming in? Does it feel hot? She took his talons and turned them over to study his wrists. It was hard to see if they were glowing with all the light from the other flame silks in the cave. I'm supposed to spin my cocoon tomorrow night, Blue said. I wish I didn't have to do it in here. He'd been nervous enough about his metamorphosis when he knew it would happen in the tranquil, peaceful safety of the cocoon. But it was much more unnerving to imagine spinning his silk here in this too bright place with its shouting dragons and stomping guards all staring at him. There must be a way out, Luna said. She looked up at the guards by the stairwell. How many guards do you think there are? Luna, Blue said. There's no way we can fight them. Just you and me? That's crazy. But now I can do this. She said. She held out one arm, and a flaming silk thread burst from her wrist. It hit one of Admiral's piles of letters and instantly set it ablaze. Ack! Admiral cried. He leaped over and knocked the burning pile away from the others, and then stamped it out with his talons. When it was piled of ashes on the rocks, he picked up the fiery strand of silk and brandished it at Luna. This is not a toy. Look what you did. Now I will. How will I remember what I've already written? The queen does not like repetition. This is terrible. You need to learn to be careful with your flame silk, young lady. Sorry, Luna said innocently. Blue blinked at Admiral. Dad, you're holding the flame silk in your talons. Why isn't it burning you? Admiral climbed <clears throat> back into his nest and dropped Luna's flame silk into his own cauldron. It glowed a much brighter orange gold than what was already in there. Flame silk dragons can't be burned by flame silk, he said. That would be absurd. Wow, Blue said. Wait, so if someone already burned me? No, it will still burn you until you've got gone through metamorphosis, or wh- whether you're going to be a flame silk or not. Admiral said, Luna, come here and let me show you the different kinds of of flame silk you can make. Flame silk is a big responsibility. Luna rolled her eyes at Blue, but she went over to their father and gave him her full attention. Blue sighed, rubbing his wrists. His wing buds were tingling, too, in a way that was both exciting and uncomfortable. 
He wished he could go run through the savannah, under the stars, just breathing air that wasn't thick and hot and overly stuffed with oranges. He scrambled down to the central floor of the cavern and made his way to the spot under the staircase ledge, where he'd found the hole the other, earlier that day. He guessed it was close to the middle of the night. Only two guards were on the stairs, and the regular silkwing workers were gone to a cramped apartment home in one of the warehouses, according to Admiral. Most of the flame silks were asleep. Danaid, Admiral, and Fertillery were the only ones awake, pouring silk into their cauldrons. Blue could feel Danaid's eyes on him as he poked through the rocks. He was out of sight of the staircase guards here, but the ones up above the glass could still see him. He glanced up to confirm this, and the glow of at least six pairs of eyes stared back. So even if he could chisel through the wall, he'd never get a chance to. There was no way to do anything surreptitious in here. He found the hole again and slipped his claws through, reaching for a feeling for that feeling of freedom. The dark open space on the other side might lead anywhere, to anywhere. To the outside world, to the sky and all the stars. On the other side of the wall, unseen, something slipped gently between his claws and squeezed. Blue came this close to screaming his head off. But at the same moment, he heard someone whisper, Shh! He bit down hard on his tongue and froze. Blue, the voice whispered. He tilted his head closer to the wall. Cricket? Shh! Yes, it's me. And me! Someone else whispered fiercely. Is Luna all right? Whispered a third voice, sword tail. She's amazing, Blue said softly. I can't believe you're all... Blue, don't talk. Cricket interrupted. They're watching you very closely. It's suspicious enough that you're over here with your arm in a hole. If you keep talking to the wall, someone's going to investigate. She squeezed his claws again and let go. Reluctantly, he pulled his talons back. Although it felt emptier than ever now, as though he had found its missing half and now it had to be alone again. He wanted to reach for her once more, to be sure she was real and really there and really alive. But now he could see how that might look a bit strange. Danaid was pretending to look at her wrists, but she was leaning so far forward toward him that she was in danger of toppling out of her nest. The eyes above stared and stared. He wasn't sure that they've ever blinked. Is that a hive wing power some guards had? No needs for eye, no need for eyelids. He sat down and started building a small pyramid of pebbles, trying to look harmless. That was something he was usually pretty good at. The leaflings are trying to build a tunnel, Cricket said softly, to get into the hive from far from below. That's how they found this place by accident, as they were digging underneath. Did you find your father? Sorry, I know you can't answer. Did Luna come out of the cocoon? Are there a lot of flame silks down here? Oh, you can't answer that either. I can't believe how big this cave is. Not big enough if you're trapped in it for your entire life. Blue thought. He thought he should be more horrified by the idea of leaflings tunneling into the hives. Six days ago, the image of leaflings suddenly bursting out of the ground inside his city would have been the most terrifying thing he could possibly imagine. But he'd met a few other more terrifying things since then. Listen, Sundew hissed. Cricket wants you to get out of there. I do too, Swordtail chimed in. Right, but I don't care what he thinks. Sundew clarified. 
Cricket nearly died with me, though. So I kind of feel like I owe you guys one. My parents have more important things to do, but I might be able to come up with a plan. Can you be ready tomorrow night? Blue's heart sank. He shook his head and shifted himself around the rock pyramid, pretending to reach for another stone, but really angling so whoever was peering through the hole could see his wing buds. He heard Cricket let out a soft gasp. It's about to go into metamorphosis, she whispered to Sundu. We have to get him out, tonight. Oh, rotten bark beetles, Sundu grumbled. Fine, I'll do it the messy way. Blue, can you see a crack in the wall near the bottom that arches around in a half circle? Blue glanced casually at the wall. He spotted what she meant immediately. It looked like a sun setting. Can you and Luna fit through there if I can knock out the chunk of rock underneath the crack? He thought so, although he hadn't spent enough time with Luna's wings yet to be sure how big they were. He was a little more worried about how to fit Admiral through, but his father was quite skinny. He'd just have to squish. Blue gave a slight nod, scattering his pebbles as though he'd gotten frustrated with his construction. Great. Go get her and be, everyone be ready to run. Good luck, Blue, Cricket whispered. Tell Luna I'm here, Sortail interjected. Very heroically. You sat down in the greenhouse and followed me into a tunnel, Sundu observed. I'm not sure you qualify for a statue in your honor yet. Shh, Cricket scolded both of them. Blue picked up a pebble, pebble and pretended to beer that closely, then set it down and headed back over to Luna. Everything all right? Dana had asked as he went by. She leaned her elbows on the edge of her nest, watching him with wide-eyed interest. Oh, yes, Blue said. Just some pretty rocks I think my sister will like. You will introduce me to her, too, won't you? Diane said, and her voice was an odd mixture of pushy and wistful. No matter what your dad says? Of course, Blue said, feeling guilty. He couldn't just stay here and just to keep these lonely flames looks company. But he was sorry that escaping with Luna meant aban- abandoning them to their endless quarrels. Is there any way to bring them along? Could they come with us? He didn't know how alert the other flame silks how to alert the other flame silks without attracting the attention of the guards. And given what he wouldn't know about them so far, he was afraid even the idea of an escape plan would somehow trigger a screaming match that would give everything away. He hurried back to Luna, worrying over the problem in his head. Rescuing her was everything. It was the whole reason he'd broken so many rules and got into so many trouble. So much trouble. It was the most important thing, getting her out of there. Getting her out of here. But he wished there was a way to rescue all of them. Luna sat up as he approached, and her eyes gleamed when he saw the expression on his face. She'd always been able to read him ever since they first hatched. You found a way out, she whispered excitedly. Our friends are here, he whispered back. Then let's go! She jumped to her feet and looked up at Admiral. Hmm? he said, blinking down at them. I was just composing another letter in my head. To thank the Queen for bringing you here, of course. My letters can't all be complaints, you know. Ho, 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 no, that wouldn't do. I must also show my gratitude when she's so generous with us. My thank you letter in regards to the tangerines was a work of art. He shed a regretful look at the pile of ashes, as though wondering how many more masterpieces had been lost to Luna's flame silk. Father, Blue said softly, we have a way out of here, but we have to go right now. Go? Admiral echoed. What do you mean? We're going to escape, Luna said. All three of us. Come on, quick, while the guards are looking sleepy. But I'm in the middle of my spinning rotation. 
Admiral said, and I haven't made nearly enough for the quota. You're still going to make it up with your... You're going to have to make it up with all your bright, lovely silk. They'll probably give you a turn in, in the morning once you've rested a bit. No, Luna said firmly. I'm not giving anyone my bright, lovely silk. It's mine, and I'm escaping with Blue right now. Admiral twitched, as though the word escape was finally crawling into his ears. Oh, no, no, he said. The hives need our silk. We're providing a great service. We're important. You're very important. You can't. You can't leave. What are you talking about? We're not allowed to leave. That rule is pretty clear. Come with us, please, Blue begged. There's no way to live, Father. This is no way to live, Father. We could be together and free, out there. Out where? Admiral scoffed. There's nowhere the Queen doesn't control. No, no, we mustn't anger her with ungrateful stunts like escape attempts. Oh dear, oh dear. You'll get us all in trouble. It'll make everything worse. How could it be worse than this? Luna asked. In the beginning, there were chains, Admiral said. On our ankles. I was the one who got rid of those. It took me about four years and two hundred or so letters, but I finally convinced her we could be trusted without them. And now you want to break that trust. This is not a mutual relationship, Luna said. The queen is using you. She's giving you next to nothing, and you're letting her walk all over you instead of fighting back. We're not going to be a part of that. She turned to Blue. I don't think this is going to work. We have to go without him. Oh, no! Admiral cried. You can't! You'll undo all the progress I've made with the Queen. We have rules for a reason, you know. She'll be so, and she'll be so disappointed. So escape with us! Blue couldn't give up. His, he couldn't just leave his father here. Father, you don't have to follow rules that are unjust. And you don't have to do everything the Queen says. Don't you feel like there are rules in your heart that are more important? How about helping other dragons, and standing up for everyone who's been treated badly, and loving whoever you want, and choosing your life in your own kind, peaceful way? He glanced over and saw Luna staring at him in surprise. She reached out with one wing and pulled him into a hug. Wow, she said. It really was a long five days, wasn't it? Well, I just understood it finally, he said, that there are dragons who aren't safe, dragons and dragons I could help, and being a little good silkling who follows the rules was making my life easy, but also helping to keep a bad system in place. I didn't know before how bad it was for so many dragons, like you, father, like all the flame silks in here. This isn't right, and you shouldn't want it for your children, Luna said. If you want to stay, that's fine, but we're going. She turned to Blue toward the center of the cave. No, Admiral said. No, no, it's wrong. I can't let you do this. Guards! Blue inhaled sharply. The hivings by the staircase whipped their heads toward them. His father was sabotaging their escape, turning them in to keep him trapped there. Here. They had to run, but their escape route looked like a whole continent away, and it wasn't even open yet. Guards! Admiral bellowed. Listen! Stop annoying the guards! Danaid shouted at Admiral, interrupting him. They don't want to hear your thoughts on potassium this hour, at this hour, or ever! It's not that! Admiral yelled back. Although my thoughts on potassium are very well researched and relevant. But hey! Guards! Guards! My dragonettes! Your brains are a pile of bananas! Fertillery hollered from his perch, never one to miss out on a fight. Your dragonettes are boring! They are not! 
Dianade and Admiral roared in unison. I think they're charming! Dianade yelled. You don't even know them! Admiral shouted. They're my dragonettes and they're fascinating! But they're, well, that's the, then they're the opposite of you! Dianade bellowed. What is happening? Luna said to Blue, covering her ears. There was something about the sparkle in Dainade's eyes. Blue wasn't sure if it was her usual spirited fury, or if maybe... I think Dainade might be trying to help us, he said quietly. He glanced at the, up at the guards. They were sitting down again, rolling their eyes at one another, as though they'd heard fights like this a million times. Follow me. Walk. Don't run. Act casual. He climbed down the stalagmite, trying to quiet his thudding heart. Guards! Admiral yelled again. But as Blue had hoped, Admiral didn't jump up and chase them. He would have to stop his silk spinning to do, to do so, and that was yet another rule he'd never break. Shut up! Purid whined, sitting up and rubbing his eyes. Why are you making so much noise? It's the middle of the night. Yeah, and some of us were sleeping! White Speck shouted. You're not helping matters with your bellowing! Heliconian chimed in from the nest closest to him. Now all ten of them were awake and shouting. It was perfect cover. The Hivewing guards looked like the last thing they wanted to do was to come down and get involved in this. And no matter how much Admiral roared, they couldn't hear his accusations over the noise of everyone else. Blue paused at Dainade's nest. Thank you, he said, holding up one talent up to her. She took it and squeezed it with a wink. Whatever I'm doing, it's great fun. This is Luna, he said. Luna, this is Dainade, who is definitely a dragon worth knowing. Dainade beamed over the edge of her nest at Luna. Nice to meet you, she said. Now scoot, I can see something exciting is about to happen. She nodded over at the wall, and Blue realized that the crack looked wider than before, and something seemed to be coming through it. You can come with us, he said. I'm not sure my old heart could stand running for my life, she said. But if you find a more sedate way to get us out of here, come back for me. He nodded. I will try, I promise. She went back to shouting at the other flame silks as he and Luna moved away. It was funny to think of Dainade wanting anything sedate when she seemed so delighted in the middle of chaos. But the stone gave a low crack as they crouched beside it, and Blue realized it was being pushed out of the wall. By? Were those roots? He gingerly touched one of the thick brown fingers that were shoving their way through the crack. It felt like branches, woody and knobbly under his claws. Sundew was growing something, somehow, faster than anything should be able to grow. And it was shoving the rocks apart, breaking through the crack, creating an opening. He dug his talons around, in the, around the boulder and yanked. Luna did the same, with a lot of grunting and muscle pulling. They felt it slowly gave way, give way until it tumbled out of their feet. The hole in the wall yawned at them, and on the other side, beyond the roots, he saw three spaces crowding in to peer through. Swordtail reached toward Luna. You're safe, he whispered. And I have wings, she answered giddily. She shoved Blue in front of her. Go on, quick. Suddenly there was a furious pounding overhead. Smash, smash, smash against the glass. They'd all been spotted, which meant the guards are coming. All the guards. Blue dove into the hole and wriggled through into the dark, navigating small thicket of leafy branches. He felt the warmth of Cricket's talons lifting him up and saw the light glinting off her skin. Glasses. I'm so glad you're alive, he said breathless, breathlessly. I had a feeling you'd come rescue me. Except 
I thought maybe I had to come rescue you, but I didn't know how. You did rescue me, just by being you, she said. Oh gosh, that wasn't corny at all. Luna popped through Swordtail and through, and Swordtail was swept his wings around her. My love, he cried. By all the forest, all of you stop being sickening and run. Sundu cried. She took off in a whirl of green scales, disappearing rapidly into the dark. Luna produced a small wisp of flame that lit up the tunnel just enough for them to see and ran. But before she did, for the moment in that dark, Blue glanced down at his wrist and saw tiny globes of fire under his scales. Chapter 25 They ran and they and climbed and ducked and slid down loose pebbly dirt slopes, following the flicker of Luna's silk and the flash of Sundu's tail up ahead. Their escape route smelled like earthworms and cut grass. Twice they had to squeeze through grass so narrow, Blue was worried Swordtail wouldn't fit. Most of the time, the ceiling was low enough to scrape their heads, and sometimes the dirt turned to damp mud, clogging up their talons. But after a while, they slowed down to listen. Well, they slowed down to listen, and they couldn't hear anyone behind them. Maybe they didn't get through the hole from the cavern, Blue said. Maybe Sundu fast growing roots had blocked the way. Or they got stuck at the bottleneck gaps, Swartail said, rubbing his shoulder. They'll be out searching for the other end of the tunnel, Sundu said. Good thing it's quite a long way from the hive. She turned to keep going, and they followed, moving at a steadier pace now. Soon the dirt tunnel shifted up and realized released them into a stone cave, similar in size to the flamesilk cavern, but cold and dark and empty. From there on, they climbed through the natural passages in the rocks. At one point, they hopped up the side of a trickling waterfall that sprayed their scales of mist. Blue thought he heard a river rushing somewhere close by. He also heard an odd whispering, chittering sounds inside the echoes, as though the A's were haunted by musical squirrels. Orbiting monkeys, he realized. Those caves could be connected to the ones where he and Cricket had seen a little monkey creature. Maybe there are lots of them living living down here, like Cricket's science project dream come true. And then, a long while later, he heard a distant roaring. Down. What's that? He whispered to Cricket. He whispered to Cricket. I'm not sure, she answered. too. Did you notice? It doesn't smell like, it, doesn't it smell like salt and fish, maybe? Oh, oh, I know what it is. Sundew, are we going to the ocean? Just then, they rounded a corner of the tunnel, and there it was. The ocean! They were standing in an enormous cave that looked out onto the beach. It was early morning. Rivulets of water ran and branched and reconvened all through the sandy floor of the cave. She opened her wings to the wind, so they billowed out like pages flung into the sky. The waves roared cheerfully at her. Oh, wow, Luna said, wading up beside her. 
She spread her wings too, and they sat side by side for a moment, gold and orange and pale, gold and gold, orange, black, and pale green, hive wing and silk wing, gazing out at the sea. Blue sidled up beside them and looked out at the beach. It stretched away beyond the sight in each direction, with tall cliffs overlooking the beach as far as he could see. Up at the top of the cliffs, long grass tossed and, and waved in the wind. The ocean was so big. He never quite imagined how big it could be, or how noisy, or how active. It never stopped moving, charging up the beach, sprinting away, rolling and turning blue-green-gray with sprays of white. Have you ever been here before? Cricket asked him. I haven't, but I've always wanted to visit the sea. Doesn't it feel like a promise? Like the night before an exciting journey? The distant kingdoms are out there, Blue. I know it. She squinted at the tossing waves, as though she might be able to glimpse the far-off continent on the other side of the world. Clearsight's home. We could learn so much if we could just figure out how to get there. Luna gave a rueful laugh. I'm afraid we'll have enough to deal on this continent, she said. I'm all for exploring new worlds, but I think we have to save this one first. Or we could just leave, Cricket said in a quieter voice. If it's too dangerous here, maybe we'll be safer over there. Yes, we might be, Luna said, but the dragons we left behind would still be in danger. She turned as Swordtail and Sundu came up to join them. Blue realized it was raining. A quiet drizzle plip plopped across the sand, turning the air misty in pale gray dawn light. He held out his burning wrists so the raindrops could cool them down. Thank you for getting us out of there, he said to Sundu. Where are your parents? Sulking, she said. They didn't want me to reveal the existence of the tunnel to the hive wings, even though we'd already decided we can't use it. They're also mad that I haven't given this yet. She tapped one of her larger pouches, and it made a thunking sound. But they're not the boss of me, and I told them they could have it once you were free. I'll meet them up with I'll meet up with them tonight. And then what will you what will you do? Swordtail asked. Go back to the other leaf wings, she said. Figure out our next plan. Since this one didn't go exactly the way we expected. Is that Luna started, pointing to the pouch. Do you really have Sundu reached in and drew out the book of clear sight. It looked even smaller and less mystical in the daylight. It looked just like a very old book that someone had sewn together a little crookedly. But it holds the secrets of our future, Blue thought with a shiver of awe. We could read it. We could read it right now and know everything that's going to happen. Can I show them? Cricket asked Sandu. The leafwing nodded, passing the book to her. Cricket found a flat, dry boulder and swept off all the sand on it with her tail. Blue sat down beside her, and Cricket scooted close to him so Luna could sit on her other side. It's not what we thought it was, Cricket said. It's, well, it's something else completely. She opened the book to the first page. Dear grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren, and all the many great-grandchildren to come, how funny it feels to know you so well, when there are so many of you I'm never going to meet. I see you all the time, especially when I'm just on the edge of falling asleep. The future is so clear suddenly. Now I won't be able to change anything. My time is almost up, and yours is just beginning. I won't be able to control anything after this. I won't be able to use my visions to protect you, to keep you all safe. But then, one thing I've learned over my long, strange, lovely life is that I could never actually control the future as much as I thought I could. I should have learned that lesson with my first love, back home in 
purr you. But I kept trying anyway, and I did manage to keep you all alive. I battled the future for that much, and I won. But the future will always win in the end, because it continues on forever, to where I cannot go. So this is my last battle, the last thing I can do to try to keep my claws on the balance of future, to keep you as safe as long as I can. In this book are my visions of what is yet to come. Some of it seems small, but I have included everything, even if I can't tell you why it's important. I leave you in this hope that it will make life better for both of our tribes. I hope you will use it to protect the dragons around you, especially the ones who are the most threatened, regardless of who they are and how do you think they f- you feel about them. There are some hard times ahead. There always are. Ev- everywhere and for everyone. I'm sorry I won't be here to help you rebuild after the earthquake. I hope I've written down enough advice to get you through the f- famine. But most of all, most of what I see is joy. All your futures, your futures are full of joy. What a miracle it is to be a dragon, alive right now and part of this wonderful world. Do you ever stop to think about that? About what an odd and lucky thing it is to be this soul inside this body. To live in a world with so many marvels in it. I am grateful to have known and loved you all. All the hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and storms cannot break you if you remember a few things. We are here to love with our whole hearts. Lean in your kindness, into your kindness and empathy in the face of evil, but do not let evil win. You are the only dragon who can decide which, who you want to be. Don't let yourself get stuck on someone else's path. Search for that's what, what's true and think for yourself. Over a hundred years ago, I thought my life was finished and there was nothing left to live for. I was so, so wrong. Keep going. The list of things to live for is limitless, and it is possible to be happy again. And, this one is going to sound ridiculous coming from me, don't worry about the future so much, or else you might miss out on the extraordinary present. Be happy, dragons of the future. You can change the world with your joy and your hope. All my love, clear sight. Lou glanced up and saw Luna wiping away tears. This is exactly how I imagined clear sight, he said. Of course you did. Luna said with a catch in her voice. You have faith in other dragons, whereas I thought she was a convening multiplicator, manipulator who deliberately set up her descendants to be the most powerful tribe in Pantala. She shook her head. Yep, me too, Sundu said. Oh no, Blue said, shocked. She wasn't. She wouldn't. I see that, Luna said, waving her talon at the book. But at some point, that's where her descendants decided to do. Why didn't she see that coming and stop them? Because, Cricket said softly, it turns out she wasn't as all-knowing as all-seeing after all. She started turning pages, pointing to the dates at the top. After about 200 years, a flow of visions slowed dramatically. A hurricane here, a tsunami 90 later there, a few more tiny notes full of question marks. And then, on a date marked about 900 after the first, she'd written, Take care of the trees. I think they might be in danger, but I can't see why. Help the leaf wings protect them. I love you. Good luck. Cricket turned the page. The next spread was blank. And so was the next. And the next. The last few pages of the book were, was empty. The last vision from Clearsight was dated over a thousand years ago. 